millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It is Austrian Grand Prix week, so naturally we'll be looking ahead to all things Red Bull Ring. Also on the show, though, we take a little further look into some of RNF's Razlan Razali's revelations in his exclusive interview with us at Crash.net. Also, some rider movements we haven't touched on too deeply as of yet, involving a Cal Crutchlow return. Uh, we'll also be taking a look back uh, to last week at Silverstone and a lot of you getting in touch about why you didn't go to see the MotoGP racing at Silverstone or indeed if you did and your thoughts on it. The recording date is Monday the 15th of August. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me as ever is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion uh, Keith Hewin. But first of all though, uh, we would have all seen and heard about the accident during the Suzuka endurance race involving Gino Ria a week or so ago. So we just wanted to uh, take this time to say that everyone at Crash.net uh, sends their thoughts to Gino and his family and friends. In fact, two-time endurance champion uh, Terry Reimer has shared the latest news from Gino's family this morning saying, Gino has made our day. David, his dad and Elaine, his mum, have said we were by his side, and as soon as we spoke, he opened his eyes, looked right at me, then over to Elaine. We could see he was pleased to see us and tried to talk. We could hold his hands. He was squeezing ours. Gino is communicating, raising his eyebrows. Shannon, his sister, and Bella, his wife, went in next. They said, blink twice if you can understand me, and he did. The doctor said he didn't respond to any nurses, but was amazed when he saw the responses to his family, uh, which he said, uh, it's a great sign. So encouraging news there uh, from Gino and uh, his family and doctors. It's still a long way to go, of course, but we send uh, our thoughts and well wishes to Gino and to uh, keep fighting as well, as always. But let's uh, turn our focus then to uh, some more of the racing action as we do. And of course, last week, gents, it was Silverstone. The low turnout was the huge talking point, Keith, wasn't it? And we got quite literally hundreds of comments, tweets, and a lot of them overlapping, saying the same thing. Either Silverstone is not the right track to go and watch bike racing, the money side of it not just the cost of living, but actually when you get there, the parking, the ticket prices, the cost of a burger, not having any British riders, the way Dorna promote it. it. It's everything we kind of predicted, but it's worse in a way, isn't it? Because it's not just one problem. I think you're right. I mean, it's not just, I won't say it's a problem. I think it's a, it's a smorgasbord of, of, of things that need tweaking. I mean, the overall event, I think that we have to be positive. The overall event was a great event. The British Grand Prix under the sun at Silverstone, 500 acres, was a great event. They put on lots of entertainment. I think the questions are mostly the parking. I think that it's kind of one of them things where you, you buy it. It was a bit like if you walked in to buy a telly and then on your way out, you got charged for parking out the front. You'd be properly unhappy about it, really, wouldn't you? You, you just those kind of extra charges. Nobody likes extras. You know, maybe some of the concessions that are there for beers and burgers and so on. Now, they're paying Silverstone, obviously, to be on site. Whoever the contractor is that Silverstone are paid by, will be paid by, um, they then set the prices, I would imagine. You know, there might be a situation where Silverstone can get a, a little bit more, uh, should we say, in control of the cost. Of that. Maybe maybe a 20% uplift on a pint of beer wouldn't be unacceptable. You know, someone's going to scream at me for that. But maybe with a situation where... You know, what you can buy it in a pub for, if it's 10 or 20% more at the Silverstone track then, or at any track, then you might think to yourself, well, actually, it's not too bad a value for money considering someone's got to drag their bloody bar into here, set it up, take it away again afterwards. Perhaps those are the kind of things that, that Silverstone can, can address. Um, 
the overall cost, um, what shocked me was that it was 41,000 people on the Sunday. Is race day good value for money? Now, I think that if you had a three-day ticket and you were there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it wasn't bad value for money. The campsites are good. The, you know, the entertainment value on a, on a Friday, Saturday night is good. Even on a Sunday night when you're going home, if you want to stay around for an hour, maybe two hours, there's, there's entertainment on the stages as well. They don't just shut Silverstone, open the gates and let you flood out. There's a big staff situation at Silverstone. They had a lot of staff there this time to help you out the car parks, help you into the car parks. Well, I've been to Grand Prix before, you know, checkered flag for the final round, and they open all the bloody gates, and it's a free-for-all to get out, and it's a, just a complete logjam. Um, I think Silverson did a lot of things right, but I think there were things that antagonised people into not going, and and that, I think, has, has been our mailbox, has been full of those guys. Some... You just are never going to please. The Donington versus Silverstone thing just gets on my nerves. You know, Donington's a good racetrack. You know, the facilities there are not as good as Silverstone's pretty much. You know, they're better since Palmer took up the lease on the place. Jonathan Palmer, obviously, MSVR, now have the lease on Donington and, and he'll be working his magic at trackside. But there's no way that Palmer will put things at Donington that are going to lose him money. The biggest thing, I think, you touched on it, is British Grand Prix winner. We definitely need it. You know, our sport needs a 500, 500cc. Sorry, showing my age slightly there. Oh, we need a MotoGP winner. Uh, you know, on this weekend, we just had a winner at the British Grand Prix, Speedway Grand Prix, at the Millennium Stadium, now the Principality Stadium, I think it is now, in Cardiff. Dan Bewley, fantastic, won the British Grand Prix. That will almost guarantee, and the fans, you've never heard a roar like it inside that stadium. If you've never been to Speedway before, the British Grand Prix is one to go to if you get an opportunity. Um, and it was just something a little bit special. Dan Bewley won the British Grand Prix. Can you imagine if that had been Cal Crutchlow winning our MotoGP or whoever it might be? Um, we need that situation. We've touched on it before. You know, MSVR, Jonathan Palmer's group and Silverstone, maybe they should be backing the likes of Vision Track, Michael Lavity's team and others to be promoting these guys through at the minute. We've got, you know, the British Talent Cup is flying. I mean, the 14-year-old, what is he? Johnny Garness, I think he's a Vision Track guy as well, that's, that's just beating the pants off everyone else. You know, there's opportunities here. But you don't want it to stall. It's got to go forward. It's got to incrementally go forwards, like the CEV, the Junior World Championships in Spain. We need this ladder to continue to give guys the, the opportunity to move on. Rory Skinner did a great job, um, went a bit under the radar in the media. And of course, that's the other side of things. The media were not behind the British Grand Prix like they were for the Formula One British Grand Prix. You know, you saw it in every newspaper, every magazine, the build up to it. Now, I know that the PR department at Silverstone try as hard as they can. Stuart Pringle, managing director, spoke to him many, many times in the last two weeks about, you know, what to do, where to go. You know, he's picking everybody's brains. It's not like they're loafing around down there and making up their own strategy. It's kind of they are canvassing for how they can make it better. The answer, as I can see you looking very stern, is the cost of uh, seeing racing in the UK for me on Sunday deep breath was not the best value for money 90 quid plus whatever it cost the park for three races plus the british uh, talent cup for me wasn't enough on track racing um, and i think that's something that dorna have basically melted it down to our market in britain is different from everywhere else our fans are different from everywhere else to a great extent our expectations are slightly different as well and it's a it's a it's not we won't go. It's not a case of going there just because it's the British Grand Prix. It has still got to represent value for money, whatever that is. If it was £100 a ticket, you know, if it was great value for money, people would spend it, in my view, if they've got it. Um, we are going through hard times here at the moment, which, which, and straight off the back of World Superbikes at Donington, there's that other thing again. It's the Donington versus World Superbikes versus uh, British Grand Prix. You know, where does this all, where do we find that happy medium? That, Do we have less entertainment on stage and not 15 quid off the ticket? Parking, in my view, should always be part of the deal. Well, I mean, it's funny, I heard some rumour at the weekend that said something along the lines of the reason why they were charging for parking was to encourage people to go on motorbikes. Now, only a car bloke could think of that. 
because people that are going to go to a British Grand Prix, motorcycle British Grand Prix, is going to go on his bike if he's got a bike. The only reason he's not going on his bike is because it's slashing it down with rain or they've only got a car. You know, it's, it's kind of, you can park your bike for free at the British Grand Prix. You know, you don't have to pay to park your motorbike. You only pay for your cars. And the other thing was, there's not enough room for all the cars. Well, hang on a second. You had 140 something thousand people at the Formula One Grand Prix. They all go in cars. They all parked. I don't understand some of the some of the kind of contradictions that go on in these things. It, it's, Help me out here, boys. There's, I mean, there's so much. Uh, you've covered a lot of it. And Pete, I want to get your thoughts as well. But I just want to bring up a, a few people have said, which you've already reiterated, Keith. Uh, made Flawsome on Twitter. It was no Rossi or Marquez. MotoGP's best sport in the world. Dorna focuses on the Spanish market only. Perhaps need to bring in an international marketer. People are worried about energy prices, as particularly in the winter. So are worried about spending money on, you know, fun things like a MotoGP weekend. And then there was this one, uh, which just did stand out for me just reiterating again the price uh Pete, i don't know if you want to come in after this uh, from clayton warner um i was there camping for the weekend hoping it for it, hoping for it to be a cheaper experience we had bought general admission tickets and thoroughly enjoyed free roaming the grandstands on the friday and saturday so much that we considered to upgrade our tickets for the sunday we went and it was 50 pounds a person while we were inquiring about upgrading there was an older gentleman who was there to try and get general admission tickets for the saturday and sunday they wanted to charge him 200 pounds for the saturday and sunday tickets for anyone that is a lot of money which excludes getting there and food on the day especially considering that we paid 180 pounds for two weekend tickets the month before that what made it even more sad was on sunday seeing the amount of empty grandstands just sitting empty for the entirety of the weekend including the veil grandstand which was completely empty why charge 200 pounds for a general admission ticket and leave all of the grandstands empty it would much i would much rather charge 50 pounds and have the entirety of it full it just didn't make sense to me seeing the amount of people trying to buy tickets and then saying no after seeing the price and I mean, that's that's a pretty damning indictment there from from Clayton. It is. And it, it all comes down to the perception of the value of money as well, doesn't it? As well as the actual cost, it's the perception. Are, are, do people feel like what they're, they're getting back is worth what they're paying? And it's all the reasons that Keith's highlighted, isn't it? You always hope that with these kind of events that and you do see this in particularly some of the flyaways, that there'd be some sort of sort of cheap tickets so that everybody could get somewhere at Silverstone or somewhere at the racetrack. OK, maybe they're not going to get the full, you know, proper grandstand experience in the best viewing spot but that there would be some tickets that are there that are accessible for pretty much anyone that wanted to go but when the ticket prices are that high and as you say there's empty grandstands you know the, the f1 grand prix with all of those people all those grandstands that would have been there you leave them up for another month or whatever i mean they're already in place aren't they i mean if they're already there most of them i assume have been carried over from that event well let people in them but that that is the issue isn't it? it it cost is clearly a big thing here and and again when you don't have a british winner the perception of the cost changes doesn't it and maybe that's the thing you you have to adjust the price to the situation almost yearly you know what sort of situation are we in here as a sport in the uk or whichever event it is and judge it against that i think you can't just charge a blanket rate year in year out and, and you know and think that people will just keep coming back because they will look at it and they will look at other sports, as Keith says. I think the BSB was being advertised at Cadwell. Is it £33 for a race ticket or something on the, on the race day? Those are the sort of things that people are looking at, the, the World Superbike at Donington. They've got choices. They, they're going to look at it and say, is this good value for money? The car parking thing, we all heard this, didn't we, from, from various fans. This was a thing that really got to people, that there were these other, other charges on top. I think when they see the ticket price they can maybe budget for it and they make their decision and then you almost get hit with a surprise charge isn't it it almost feels like something that sort of sort of caught you at the last minute that you weren't expecting and nobody likes that as case gave the example of going to buy a tv or something you don't want a charge sprung on you do you nobody likes that so all of these things are factors and um yeah they all need looking at but uh, as keith says we should also give credit to Silverstone for the organization. I mean, we've all been in massive queues getting into Grand Prix circuits or out of them. Silverstone, it ran like clockwork. And okay, you can say, well, there weren't as many fans, but still the organization to get people in, get people out. You could see this was a venue that is used to dealing with these large numbers of people and putting on a successful event, but you need to get the fans there. Even Magello overpriced themselves this year. The, the, you know, the, the 
And that really is God's country. Mm. Mugello in the Tuscan hills and the, the fact that they overpriced themselves. I know the Valentino Rossi factor. I, I tend to, I tend to, it's funny, I had a conversation this morning with Matt Oxley, um, you know, about things general. It rolls on a bit with me and Matt when we start going on about it. But it's a situation where, you know, it, it, they don't seem to quite get it, some promoters. And I feel that Silverstone missed the mark this year but I don't think they'll miss it again. I think that, that they're, I, I suspect they will have lost money at the weekend, um, which will be a major factor for making sure they get it right next time around. I think Formula One, and I hate to say this, obviously, is propping up MotoGP at the moment. Um, but there are so many things, small things here and there. Uh, once you lose the confidence, you know, the Valentino Rossi factor is important. But, you know, I take the same attitude as, as, as pretty much as Matt and pretty much anyone else has been in the sport for a long time. Valentino is just one of many great superstars who's now finished racing. You know, we move mm. on. Mark Marquez, you know, we're, we're looking forward to him coming back. The sport is bigger than an individual, I believe. And great racing, you know... Again, it's difficult for the likes, again, of me and Matt, in as much as that we support probably more the sport than we do an individual. You know, Valentino Rossi, great having him there. Mark Mark is one of the best motorbike racers I've ever seen. You know, will he be back? We don't know. But the fact is, the sport is great. It's looking really good. Unfortunately, at the moment, it coincides, unfortunately, with it's not quite as exciting at MotoGP level as it's been. Motor3 is outstanding still. It's probably the best race I've ever seen in Motor3 at Silverstone barring maybe one at Phillip Island previously. But, you know, we, we're, in a, we're in a bit of a difficult position here. There needs to be a lot of changes made, but they're only really small ones. The sport is really good. I think Dorna need to, to get a handle on the fact that the value for money thing on track, I think they need to sort that out. I think there's not enough going on on track. Silverstone have got all their entertainment sorted and their stages and stuff like that sorted, but they've got those niggling little bits and pieces that need to be addressed. Car parking, you know, is, is too much. People, people are going to look at it next year, whereas you'd normally just pay it and buy the ticket and go. Now everyone's looking yeah. at it. Now everyone's yeah. focused on it. And that's your problem now. It's the perception of expense, rather, like you said, Pete, rather than the actual expense. Is it worth it? What else can we go to? And another thing that uh, was brought up uh, briefly, which I, I hadn't really thought about either, Richard Evans says, uh, we, we go every year, but couldn't this year because the date changed. Now it's in the middle of the school summer holidays. Whereas before, you know, it was a, a August bank holiday weekend. You could still go and spend a day with the family. And now the same date is being confirmed for next year. So I won't be going on top of that and the parking charges. But uh, I mean, we, we spoke about it so much. I don't want to dwell on it too long, but uh, we'll end with um, a, a positive experience. Experience from from Nick Rea, who took his nephew to Silverstone uh, for his tenth visit and his first bike race ever, and he absolutely loved it so much that he wants to go. Uh, this is the nephew uh, wants to go for the full weekend next year. We sat and watched every race. He was intrigued. He was winning. What country they're from? What make uh, each bike was? What colours the teams are? And to top it off, there was some awesome display of BMX dirt jumping in between, which made his day. Hats off to Silverstone and Monster Energy. Can't wait until next year. P.S. We're going to Thruxton to watch the BSB this weekend. So hopefully the new wave of British bike racing fans is safe too. So that's a, that's a nice positive experience there. Well, I, I think it's nail on head, isn't it? I mean, the fact is that, that one of the points I made last week when we were talking about this was we've got too many bald grey heads in the, in, the, in the field watching what's going on, which is great because they're our major key fans. But the fact is the next generations need catering for. And I think that's where the, the interactive side of it comes in as well. Technology that we've got available now to all of us is should be enhanced, embraced in places like Silverstone. You should be able to, you know, the kids should be able to look up whatever they want, all the stats and stuff that's mm. going. The the kind of, you know, the stuff that's going out on MotoGP.com should be readily available to everyone, which it is if you know where to look for it. But you've got to point newbies in the right direction for this kind of stuff. How often do, do you do research, the two of you, everybody listening, um, you know, you're on Google, you're having a nose through where I can find this information, and then all of a sudden you eke out one little gem. Well, they shouldn't have to be able to look for it like that. You know, Silverstone, Dorna and the rest should be pushing that stuff all the way through the day, through the circuit commentary, through <laughs> gate entry recordings, whatever <laughs> it might be. You need to make be. it easy, don't you? <laughs> easy for the fans. Really do. Well, newbies, newbies are newbies. You know, it's hard to find your way when you're at a racetrack for the first time ever and you're looking around 500 acres. Where the bloody hell do I go? Where do I get the information, you know, from? You know, there almost ought to be like a, 
you know, a, a, a interactive booklet, if you like, when you walk in through the gate, here you go, plug that into the side of your computer or whatever, however you download the stuff and, and look it all up as you go. There should be these kind of interactive guides. And nowadays, there's no excuse for not having that because it's so yeah. cheap. You know, yeah. barcodes, buddy, you know, whatever them QR code things that you just flash your camera on and comes up with all the info. They all be was, everywhere. I was just thinking you know, that when you just... said that, I was like, wouldn't it be great? You go in the gate, scan the QR code, it all a whole guide yeah. goes into your phone or whatever. Phone or yeah. tablet or wouldn't whatever. Wouldn't that be so easy? Yeah. I mean, all that stuff, that, that should be there. You know, I said it last week, pit lane cameras, stuff that, that you can access from your, your handheld devices so you can check in on the, the pit of, of, of your favorite rider or, or all of them if you want to, you know, stuff that you can access. All of that is out there. It's funny, funny enough, I had this conversation, as you might have guessed of recent times, we've had a little bit of trouble with our broadband <laughs> round here at um, Ewan Towers. So, uh, so I had an engineer in this week and I've discussed it with him. He comes from a massive company that puts his stuff in everywhere and hooks it up to broadcasters and so on and so forth. And, and it really is really is simple you know it's it's stuff nowadays that, that it's like bread and butter to them but it, it kind of is it's there on on a maybe these things need um looking at as well in depth i mean it's all got a cost involved in it that's it i mean and also you know as you say i think the qr code thing is a great idea but why not let people access let's say the live coverage live video coverage for that event as part of the price of the ticket so that if you're at the track oh you know oh now you're treading on a massive nerve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, broad, the broadcast is going, BT's broadcast is going out on all the money. I think that's a bit of a coup, actually. What they've done is they've done away with poor old Fred Clark and, and the like, and they've got a, a sort of a, a circuit commentator that fills in the gaps when BT aren't broadcasting. But you're getting BT's broadcast at the track. Um, the only way that you're going to be allowed to see that on handhelds and the like is if you've got a subscription to BT. Well, can I just um, say the final no question I wanted to ask you, which has been brought up by Matt Randall, should MotoGP be free to air in the UK all season long? No. Really? Because it's not the model that, that works for the promoters around the world. I mean, I think it's a... Yeah, from a fan point of view, of course it should. Everybody wants everything for nothing. Of course we do. Um, but it's something that's not for nothing. It's it's the top line sport that needs funding. Um, you know, Dorna would not be in a position to have bailed out our sport during a pandemic if they'd not had enough in the coffers over the period of time. You know, they, they basically gave two years worth of of compensation to one to, uh, to Moto three one two five. Bloody yeah, she really showing your day. age. To Moto three, <laughs> Moto three and Moto two. Yeah, age yeah. is a good thing, Harry, because <laughs> you can make comparisons with how it was to where it is now, and 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 basically where it is now is is in a good place. Believe me, from back in the day, I remember it when it was horrendous, when there was no facilities, when there was no coverage, where there was nothing at all. The gaps in the racing were five seconds between riders. You know, I can go on for as long as you like. These days are good days. Um, don't ever underestimate what we are getting from Dorna, from Silverstone and from most of the other promoters. You know, it's it's a great sport that's in a very good place, but it needs just a bit more sorting out for trackside fans. And I've got to say, doesn't matter who the broadcaster is, they are never going to make it look as good as it does when you stand at trackside. It's impossible. You know, I've been going to race meetings all my life. I've been watching it on telly like every single weekend, I still watch all of BT Sport coverage, record everything from Friday, Saturday and Sunday and listen to them bloody goons every single week. And the fact of the matter is, is even with their great broadcast as it is, it's not as good as being there. You know, be there, come home and watch the recording later. Being at trackside when one of those MotoGP bikes goes past, it stands it stands the ears on my arms up now talking about it. Um, you know, there is no substitute for being at trackside. And so, therefore, the promoters and Dorna have a responsibility to give us what we need when we're at trackside. I think they missed the mark at Silverstone slightly, um, but it was only slightly. Uh, and it comes down to things that can be fixed. Um, I think accessibility, looking after the next generations coming through, if their parents aren't dragging them along, like that gentleman who, who you just talked about going for the three-day event next time, um, if you're not going to bring kids in, if kids are not having a great time with their parents at an event, 
You mentioned earlier it's in the school holidays. So what? It's in the school holidays. Great, great opportunity to take your whole family to Silverstone to watch it. So make a family ticket affordable so a whole family can go because they are tomorrow's spectators. They are tomorrow's fans. You know, if you've not got your bloody, you know, anything from 10-year-old upwards, mind <laughs> you haven't said that, you know, if you're watching the BTC race, they're not much older than 10-year-olds. So at the end of the day, not only have you got encouragement for watching the top guys and the countries they come from and all the surround geography that goes with it, um, you've got a situation where tomorrow's racers might be coming from inside that crowd that are going there, that are seeing the BTC um, race that's got 13, 14, 15-year-olds in it and thinking, where can I ever go at that, Dad? You know, and with Pringle mentioning before that they're going to enhance a go-kart track there, in other words, a track that could well cater for minibikes, you know, you have got a, suddenly you've got a whole raft of things that follow on to each other that are integrated. And that's where we're missing it. You know, there, there are just so many opportunities to make this bigger than what it is at the moment. But the key is always going to be at trackside to get families through there. If you've not, you know, it's all very well dad and his, his mates going on their bloody super duper bikes that, you know, they clad themselves in leather and go down the super sausage for a, a, a breakfast and then trundle off to Silverson because they can afford 200 quid. Um, you need the families in there. That's the future. And just briefly, that is also where the free to wear has a role, though, isn't it? Because the trouble with pay per view is, yes, it's funding more than half the paddock. I mean, there's no doubt, as you say, Keith, without that, MotoGP would be in massive trouble. But people are not going to fork out. To, to watch a sport that they don't know anything about. So free-to-air has that role in getting people to go, oh, what's that? I'll watch that. It's on TV. So you always need some free-to-air, don't you? You can't do it at the expense of pay-per-view, but certainly free-to-air gets in the next generation, gets kids going, you know, the mum dads come in, what, what are you watching there? Oh, I don't know. It says MotoGP. It, it looks like fun. And then they go and watch the race. The trouble is if everything is completely pay-per-view it's almost walled off isn't it it's hard for people to get in and experience it in the first place that's all i would say on that i i, I agree with you to a point but i think that free to air yeah we had free to air for for the british grand prix that was a pretty big coup to get free to air on itv um, for our biggest event of the year here in the country um, whether that cost silverstone in bums on seats as well is a it may be a contentious issue um, free-to-air for sure, occasional free-to-air. But I don't believe that it gets your family. I don't think some kid walks in the lounge and sees MotoGP on and sits and watches it. They need to feel it. They, you know, Kids nowadays are bored within a minute. You know, As soon as you've got bloody Hodgie and the rest of them bouncing around being smart in front of the camera, they're not interested in that. It's not even funny to them. The fact of the matter is is that they want to be at the track. When when I take my kids, I'm, I'm very lucky to have young kids still. Um, and when I take them somewhere, it's take them somewhere. It's not watch it on TV. You know, it's not like YouTube. We don't have a drive to survive. We've, we've been there already with this subject at the moment. Our drive to survive equivalent didn't quite work out. I believe that it will, and they will make an effort to make that work. It's about being there and sucking it up and feeling it. And in between the fairground rides and the being able to buy the burgers and going and buying a bit of merchandise and all the other things that, that a family needs, a whole family needs that. You can't, you can't just base it on the racing if you are going to encourage for the first time a family in through the gate. That's the problem. You know, walking through the lounge while I've got MotoGP on, um, you know, I don't think any of my kids watch MotoGP and they are big into racing because of me. You know, they don't come and sit with me and watch a MotoGP practice or a MotoGP race. You know, they might come in and have a quick squint at it. And because I shout, and I'm screaming in the chair and I'm jumping up and down like a bloody lunatic, you know, annoying the neighbours. Uh, you know, my kids will poke their head around the door and go, what's the matter with that old git? You know, it, it's kind of, it's it, you've got to get these families on site. They've got to feel just how great it is. And then they'll watch TV and then they'll watch it, whether it's free-to-air or, or pay-per-view. You know, it's about making making lifelong fans and lifelong experiences at trackside. Um, and, I, and I genuinely feel that that's the case. I mean, I've got a couple of mates of mine who kids, they know more about MotoGP than I know. They know the names. They know the ages. They know the where they come from. These are, I'm talking about, uh, you know, a, a nine-year-old. I think he is one of the boys, and he is absolutely because his dad takes him to to make to to Grand Prix, you know, and he's absolutely stands at the fence waiting for a fan, waiting for a, a rider to go by and to get those 
autographs and to meet the people. Um, so to enhance our sport, to grow our sport, youngsters have got to feel it. They've got to be there as a family. They've got to enjoy it as a family. It's a community thing as much as anything. It's not about the bald old bloke. As much as we love the bald old bloke um, that loves <laughs> motorbike racing, the fact is, is I'm going to go and watch it if it's pissing down with rain, freezing cold, sunny or whatever it is. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a given that we're going to bike races. But it isn't for the family. And they're the ones, they're tomorrow's kids. And you've got the families that are scared of encouraging their, their, their boys or girls into riding motorcycles. You know, that's another level of, you know, there are a lot of families who would discourage, you know, their kids from getting involved in bikes because of the extra level of, of danger in being involved in that situation. We know all the horrendous stories there are. But again, with the right training and the right encouragement, and I know about this, I've got a 17-year-old who's just passed her test, and it scares the life out of me when she disappears out of here at 10 o'clock at night to go and meet her mates in her car, you know, because she's got no experience on the road really at that, that, that night time. Yeah, she's passed her test very recently. And you go, ooh, slightly scared of it. And, I, and I, again, I can feel as a parent what some parents might feel now. I, I don't want to go near motorbikes because, you know, they might they might get off on that. And if they do and they want one, you know, how am I going to feel about that? So there's that that other perception that's, that's mm. out well, there bikes it, as well. Bloody hell. I know. I'm rambling it's on here, boys. Also, he's got a name, that bald old man. It's Pete. You just say his name. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a bloody sight younger than me. You can't call you old Pete. But look, it's clearly... Hang on a minute. Yeah, let come me, on. Sort the two out place, for those who can't see. Uh, sorry, sorry, hey. sorry. Sort, sort the hair out. Uh, <laughs> look, it's clearly an issue uh, that uh, we can talk about all day long but uh and thank you as well to everybody getting in touch and giving their opinions on that one it really means a great deal the hundreds of you that did sorry we can't get through them all but a lot of you i think saying the same things so hopefully silverstone see that can i can i just say one thing mm. keep it up as well keep if, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you haven't heard the ones we've done before um keep it keep up sending these things into crash because we don't ignore them and the fact of the matter is is that Last week's crash podcast, Stuart Pringle was listening to in his car, managing director of, of, and one or two other, you know, people at Silverstone were listening to our podcast last time out. Um, and I've had a couple of emails since then from Silverstone regarding, you know, our podcast, particularly at the time and the ideas and the, and what it prompts. They will be looking at our timeline as well as us. It's not just crash that look at the timeline. Other people are looking at those timelines as well. So your comments are being picked up by the main people, by Silverstone, by anybody that's interested in giving uh, the trackside you know, fans something more. They are listening. Like they are brother. looking. They're listening. They're looking. Hi, Stuart. Glad to have you on board. Uh, <laughs> right. Let's <laughs> let's part that one there for now, though, and move on. And actually, uh, Pete, obviously this week, a uh, bit of a scoop, a crash exclusive RNF team principal, <laughs> Razlan Razali. You sat down and spoke with him. Lots uh, covered. You can read the full article, of course, on crash.net. The uh, Dovi retirement, Crutchlow's return, Darren Binder's rookie campaign, swapping Yamaha for Aprilia next season. What, what were the, some of the highlights that you took from that chat? It seemed like... It was a bit of a surprise, that Dovey retirement to him. Yeah, it did seem that way. Yeah. So the interview was Friday at Silverstone. So the sort of the day after Dovey had announced that he would be sort of retiring. And yeah, I mean, as Razin sort of said, you know, they kind of knew that that, that Dovey wasn't happy and they, they, they obviously weren't expecting him to continue next year. But yes, I think um, to be to be stopping at Mizano, so he's only got a couple of races left now, did come as a surprise to the team. But then, as, as Razin said, you know, if... if if the rider doesn't want it, you know, he's not happy. He's tried everything. As Razan said, he's been in there in the meetings where Dovi's talking to the Japanese engineers and they're all, they've, they've, they've almost exhausted every option. He, he got to the point where Razan was saying to them in the team, just go out and enjoy it. But I mean, you can't tell a MotoGP or a MotoGP rider, they, Keith Stoddy said, they're not going to enjoy it unless they're at the front or they're, they're competitive. That's the reality. And I think Dovi just realized that, you know, the time is up and, and, and he's called it a day and in comes Cal. So, you know, Cal, of course, rode for the team next uh, last year as one of the stand-ins. They went through this rotation of riders. Um, I did ask Razan, were other people considered? But they didn't want to go through that that whole sort of roundabout of, you know, you know, different riders every week, if you like, that they went through last year. So Cal is committed for the full final six races. 
Um, so that'll be interesting to see what what Cal does on that bike. He's been testing more apparently. Rasen said he's he's in he's fitter, he's in better shape than last year, and things like that. So, yeah, he'll come in from uh, from Aragon onwards, and um, we'll see what he can do on on that bike. And and it seems like he'll probably be developing some things for next year's Yamaha. Obviously, RNF are going to Aprilia. You touched on it there. You know, I tried, what what was the main reason for this this switch? And it really seems to have come down to that. Yamaha were only offering another short-term deal and, and Razan needs a long-term commitment from the manufacturer in order to build this team up, get the sponsors in and everything else. He's done a good job, really. I mean, there was a lot of people sort of, how's this going to go? But, you know, you know, the team's, as he said, it's not working out of a car boot. We were, we were doing the interview in the team's hospitality. It's an impressive hospitality, double 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 layer thing. You know, we're upstairs and he's got the presentation right. You now, Razan's always big on getting things professionally looking good CEO of Sepang before you know he's used to he's used to dealing with big uh, you know big events and and big sports as MotoGP obviously is but uh, as he said he's on his own now you know you've got to find the sponsorship and that's the big change now before he had Sepang backing him if you like he had a big sponsor in Petronas now he's out there doing it for himself but he's got this multi-year deal with Aprilia obviously tried to get a bit out on who the riders might be for next year but uh, yeah he wasn't taking the bait on that one he's uh, wait and see they feel that there's enough good young riders out there this mix of youth and experience that they can just sit back a bit and wait and see so yeah will we will we know more at uh, this weekend ktm's home grand prix you've got to imagine that there'll be some uh, announcements from ktm all of the the top guys at red bull and ktm will be there clearly so i think some things will become clearer this weekend maybe paul aspargo's future for example raslan rosali i tell you he came from big budget when Petronas was there. I wonder how much of that Petronas money sort of drifted over to this year to keep him going as well. I mean, it looked at one stage that he was a bit precarious by losing Moto2, Moto3 and concentrating everything on MotoGP. But um, he's a smart cookie. And I think the Aprilia move is a really, really good one and very timely for both Aprilia and for him. Uh, it's going to work well, if you out want to well, read the uh, the full story it's on crash.net now so uh, do take a look at that and while talking of austria let's look forward to it shall we round 13 and lots of things uh, we think on the horizon as you uh, suggest there pete ktm home track might be offering up uh, some announcements we think a ducati decision might be imminent too marquez is going to make a comeback but not on the track he's just going to watch as a punter uh vinales back up and running we think too maybe a win on the cards before we deep dive into all of that keith the track austria red bull ring what's it like and we've got a little bit of a tweak for this year Well, the Austrike ring as it was, was one of the greatest racetracks, one of the most dangerous. But if you go right back in the history of this racetrack, it is just got something about it. If you look back over some of the old YouTube videos of car racing there and the like, what a place. Um, anyway, the Austrike ring, as is now Red Bull ring, bought obviously by you know the guy who owns the rights to Red Bull in Europe, Massastich. And um, the Turn 3 incident of where we saw you know Zarco and co flying over the head of uh, Valentino Rossi and so on and so forth. And the big panic that came in after that, turn three, um, very nearly disastrous accidents. Um, they've put this zigzag in now, halfway down the hill towards turn three. I just wonder if there's a two-year-old that was squiggling on the piece of paper that Tilka was working on to, to make this work. I honestly, I just don't, I really don't get it. Uh, yeah, they've done what they needed to do, I suppose, to slow things down when you get to turn three. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's been interesting to see what the riders actually make of it when they get there. I'm sure they'll just bite their lip and get on with it because there is no choice. But um, it just looks horrendous. It just is literally, you know, the mark of Zorro on the on the map, zigzag straight across it. Someone's had their wand out and they've... they've, they've dug this new bit of tarmac in there no as you can tell i'm not really a fan but I, I at the end of the day that's me looking at a piece of paper not riding it let's see how the riders get on with it when we get out there in the first practices but um you know it's a stop start chicane at the end of the day and it's not not one of my favorite cures for something that could have been cured so much nicer than than that you know it's just horrendous from from my own personal um, point of view. And in fairness, I should just add in that Quattro, I was asked about Austria at the end of the Silverstone race and this new chicane, you know, might this help you having a, a, you know, a couple more corners there? And he went, well, actually, it's going to be worse for me because turn three under braking was where I was making up time. But more to the point, he also <laughs> said 
it looks a bit dangerous to me. So, you know, there's a few people have said this because the original track, we should say, still exists, doesn't it? It's still used by Formula One. MotoGP sort of pulls off the track, then crosses the track and then rejoins it again. And there is the potential if a rider loses control on the way in that they could come into contact with with, uh, yeah, the riders further on in the chicane. And yeah, so Quattararo, there we go. You know, he won't be the only one who's looking at that chicane and wondering, hang on a minute, is this solving one problem and maybe creating another? Of course it is. And that's what you get at racetracks. I mean, the situation at Silverstone, do we rule out maggots, Beckett's and Chapel? Because there's a potential possibility of someone falling down in the middle. And we had a bike in the middle of there. In, you know, I can't remember who it was now that, uh, that, that, that left their machinery in the middle of the track. I mean, it, it happens in so many of these cases. Bikes and riders, you know, travel across sometimes the chicane into the track. They rejoin the track. If the bike picks up and decides to go further down the hill, it will do. You know, the velocity of these things and the, the science behind, you know, what a bike can do if it just happens to hit the ground in a certain manner is almost unfathomable from a from a, 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 a fix. You know, it's going to be impossible. And sticking, like I say, this bloody zigzag in the middle. Of, yeah, that turn three had never been a problem. Yeah, you're approaching it right old rapid rate and not. And it was only because Zarco tagged the back of someone else on the way down the hill. Yeah, he makes up time. He certainly made up time on that occasion when he ended up clobbering the rear end of, of another machine. And, the, and down the road, they all went um, and arrived at turn three when people were turning in through it. Anyone that's not seen the video should take a look at it. Uh, fortunately, no one gets hurt. So it's a, a video worth watching just from the what the, the horrendous consequences could have been, um, you know, I've never seen Valentino Rossi sit on his pit box looking visibly shocked as he was after that event. So, and clearly what they did in the end was extend the barrier out into turn three a little bit more so that anything that did come down the hill that was a wayward was going to go into the barrier, which again is never a good idea because riders, you know, contacting a barrier is, is not the way it should be because that retardation in speed is, is never good for a, for a human body. I don't know. It just seems to me that the the, the, the manner in which they fixed it, in inverted commas... Um, what is, is also great. going to be on the minds of everybody is the weather. And I have just looked it up because after last year, of course, absolute mayhem in the race, which saw Brad Binder win out in the end just, uh, Friday looks wet, thunderstorm, Saturday wet, Sunday wet. It is only Monday, so that weather could change. And of course, with Spielberg and the Red Bull Ring being in the mountains, it tends to sort of fluctuate with that weather, but it can come in very quickly. So that's going to be a massive characteristic this weekend. Very quickly indeed. And it, it does, it's, you know, if you're up there, it don't get that green for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> green usually means rain and it, it is rather beautiful up there. So, uh, uh, you know, it, and when it comes in, whether it be mist, fog, you know, even when it's hot, when the sun's up, it seems to amplify the whole thing as well. So whatever we've got coming, it's going to be an extreme. And what we do have coming, of course, uh, Pete, is Mark Marquez back to the Austrian Grand Prix. First time back in the paddock since uh, Mugello, I think. Uh, not riding, just purely joining Honda to uh, reconnect with the team, I suppose, to get a bigger understanding he is still unbelievably well or believably the the highest ranking honda rider and he hasn't been around for the last few races and that just highlights what a dire situation the team's in it does doesn't it yeah absolutely harry you're not the only one to, to highlight that statistic yeah there's a lot of people in the paddock also saying that as well and uh, yeah mark's coming back now you know let's be honest here mark is coming back I should think it'll be more of a fact-finding mission. You know, he will be wanting to know what's happening with next year's bike. He's not just coming back to to cheer on Paul and Stefan and the team. I mean, this is Mark Marquez. You know, he's going to come back. I should think he'll want to. He'll have meetings with HRC. What, what's going on with the new bike? When will it be available? Um, you know, we know Mark's his, his recovery is progressing. He's got a medical check again at the end of this month, and potentially, you know. Could the comeback occur sometime after that, which would put him in line with September? There's the Mizano test, usually when we see the first versions of the next year's bike. So all of these things, I'm sure Mark will be will be talking about with Honda. Um, you know, we know they're losing probably two of their riders, aren't they? At the moment, they've only got Taco who's trying new parts. It seems Paul doesn't seem to be trying new parts probably because he's not going to be there next year if we think he's off to Tektuar and KTM. 
Um, Alex Marquez said he's had his bike is the same as Qatar. That was his words at Silverstone. So he's not either. So, you know, at the moment, there's, there's Taka's trying a new chassis, sort of mixed things with it. The race went quite well, but on Saturday, you know, he seemed to be lost with it. So it still seems unclear the direction that they need at Honda. And I think Mark arriving, he said, this is a critical time for HRC. And I think Mark arriving, he's going to want to know, right, what's going on here? What's, what's the state of play as far as next year? And I believe that's what Mark's interest is here. He's not coming just to cheer on the team, let's be honest. So I think it'd be a busy weekend for Mark and Honda. And I think he's going to want some clear answers. They obviously want to know clear answers from him. How's your recovery going? You know, what, what's the situation? How are you compared to before the, the accident? All these kind of things. So, yeah, I think this, is, this will be about planning for the future for Mark and Honda. He's doing his homework. That's what I like about Mark. He's uh, methodical in his homework as well. So I think he's got a lot of questions to ask of Honda. I think more he's got more to ask them than they've got to ask him. His bit's pretty simple. He's either fit or he's not. And uh, judging by what I'm seeing, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can't get definitives from anybody, but it's looking pretty good. His return is imminent. Well, it's been a, a pretty uh, remarkable, I suppose, actually. And, and I find it interesting saying he disconnected too much during his last operation from... Uh, MotoGP so he's made a much bigger effort this time around to sort of stay in touch with the team and the te and test rider of course Stefan uh, Bradle just to, to make sure he can hit the ground running this weekend I suppose and be up to speed in the meeting rooms and then eventually uh, come back uh, not too far away it seems hoping to be back on an RCV uh, by the end of the month it seems so uh, all the best continued for the recovery Mark Marquez and I'm sure he'll be all over the TV screens this weekend um, Pete you brought this up uh, off air we think it's been dragging on a bit for a little while now. This Ducati decision. We think this might be the last round before we get a decision as to who will partner Pecco Bagnaia. Will it be Enea Bastianini? Will it be uh, Jorge Martin? Of course, Bastianini and Martin had a great ding-dong fight uh, in Silverstone. Bastianini just pipping Martin at the end. Uh, but we're still really, uh, from our side of things, no none the wiser as to who it might be. It still seems a pretty even fight, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, as far as we know, if, if everything is still going to plan anyway, the decision is supposed to come at the end of August after this round. And that would also fit in with you've got Mizano coming up, Ducati's home event. So I guess they want it all out in the open, if you like, by that round. Um, you know, who will be Pecco Bagnaia's teammate and who will be the other Pramac rider alongside Zarco. So that's really the decision to be made here. If you look at it on paper, of course, Sebastianini, four wins and, and, and Martin, no wins this year. But then if you look at the last five races, Martins outscored Bastianini almost double the points, I think. So, yeah, it's still, you know, it, it would be easier, I think, for Ducati if Martin was to be the clear favourite because he's in that sort of, he, he's a bit further up that, that ladder, isn't he, towards the factory team. He's already at Pramac. He could move up. There's then a space for Bastianini. Otherwise, you've got Bastianini who's jumping from, of course, a year-old bike all the way to the factory team. And you've also got things like two Italians in the team, an Italian and a Spaniard, you, you open up more marketing possibilities, etc., etc. So big weekend, really, I think. I mean, if one of them was to have a really big result here, could that swing things? I mean, why not? It's certainly potentially good. Bastianini's had some, you know, the last few races haven't gone great for him. As you say, Silverstone was a great race. So he really, he got the momentum back on his side. Remember, he had a broken wing. So he finished uh, 1.6 seconds from victory with one wing missing. And we've heard from riders previously that the bikes nowadays are almost unrideable when they lose a wing. So, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It could have been Bastianini's fourth win of the year on Sunday and uh, at Silverstone. And that would have swung things, I think, very heavily in his favour. But as it is, yeah, Martin's a former winner in Austria, we should say. So, you know, he could well, he could well be at the front this weekend as well. A lot of pressure and the weather. These are things that are going to be, um, you know, win or choke. It's going to be a very interesting weekend from everybody's point of view there. Who's your money on on that, Pete? As far as the uh, the decision or the race? The decision. The decision. I mean, as I say, I think Ducati would like it to be Martin, but I think Bastianini is making it really do you, difficult. Do you think they would actually think, I, is it going to be one amazing result or are they actually going to look back at the, the, the season as a whole? The season as a whole, yeah. at the end of the day. You've, you've got to... You've got to look and see, analyse every single race and see, you know, what the performances were in the context that they were in, I think. And that, that will come down again. You know, they'll look at weather conditions, track conditions, tyre conditions. That, that, you know, it's not sort of stick a pin in a piece of paper between the two of them, although I agree with Pete. It is, this is one of the toughest decisions they're going to make. But who would you and pick? That variable that Pete... 
well, Pete, the what variable the variable that Pete said regarding the the upgrade in motorbike. Now that that can destabilize a rider quite quickly. You know, they yeah you know, they're really used to the way one motorcycle handles and and performs and behaves. And as soon as you stick them on a factory bike, <laughs> my experience of factory bikes is that they're not quite what you might think they are because they are further up the development ladder. They have nuances and 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 you need to ride them in a specific way quite often you need to ride them completely differently to to an, perhaps an ordinary production bike if you like a, a bike that's been well used and is user friendly because so many different riders have been on it and it's kind of it's tuned into a more uh, less aggressive animal whereas the, the factory bikes are always that little bit pointier that little bit sharper that they demand more from a rider to get the best out of it if you're a great rider you'll find your way around it you know, I'm talking Mark Marquez, perhaps with the Honda. That Honda is a nightmare of a motorcycle to ride. Mark Marquez knew exactly how to to use it. No one else really did. You know, we're seeing. I'm not saying the Yamaha is a monster to ride. It isn't. Um, but Quattararo is the only man that can get the best from that Honda package consistently at the moment. Um, you know, there may be other reasons for that at the moment. Morbidelli's never looked quite the Morbidelli that we saw from before um, since his accident. So. You know, there are other reasons for that. But what I'm saying is factory bikes never quite, you know, the thing that we all aspire to as riders, but then you get one and you think, Jesus, this is going to be hard work. And it generally is until you hit the sweet spot. And it, that's the thing. That is, of course, he's on a GP22, Martin, isn't he? But the engine is slightly different to, to Banyaya and Miller. You know, they went with this slightly different engine spec. So there's, as you say, as he says, it's not easy to make a direct comparison here. You've got different bikes out there. You've got Marini and the two Pramac guys on, on let's say, the original GP22 engine. And then the factory guys sort of went back a bit to something in between the 21 and the 22. So, And then, of course, Bastianini on the full 21 engine from last year. So, yeah, there's a lot, and then you throw in Martin's hand surgery that he had. So he's, you know... It, it's not an easy one, as we're saying. It's not an easy one, and it's a big decision for them. You've also got to look at Banyaya. You don't want to destabilize, let's say, your number one guy. But really, what you're looking at here is that they're bringing in another guy almost as a backup because, you know, the relationship between Miller and, and, and Banyaya is, is great, isn't it? If they were putting all their eggs in Banyaya's basket, you would keep it as it is. Instead, they, they've chosen to let Jack go, if you like, and Jack's found another place at, at the factory KTM team which means that, you know, they're ambitious about this. They're looking for another rider to really, to push things forward, potentially be a number one. I don't think there's going to be a clear cut number one at Ducati next year. It's interesting on that. JC has asked, will Bagnaia struggle or prosper with a stronger teammate when either uh, Martin or Bastianini are promoted? He clearly enjoys the current dynamic with Miller as a wingman, as opposed to a direct rival who would not play second fiddle as kindly. I think Bagnaia, there's no way Jack Miller plays second fiddle, believe me on that one. Bagnaya is his own man. Bagnaya focuses in on his own game. I, I've always been impressed with the way Bagnaya goes about his job. You know, you look in the last... It's funny enough, I was talking with Pete before we came on here. Seven, the last seven rounds, the ones he's finished, he's won, which is pretty impressive, really. I know he hasn't finished uh, he hasn't finished three of them, but you know, but he's won the other four of the last seven rounds, which is pretty damn impressive. I think Bagnaya, yeah, it's always good to have a teammate that pushes you slightly, that that, that is looking at different areas of... Of setup and the like as well. I mean, I fancy Jorge for for the for that berth, and I think Bastianini in the Pramac will be the right call. Um, but that's based on looking in from where I am, not looking out from where they are. And you know, these teams, like I said, it isn't a case of putting a pin in the in the map. This is going to be one that benefits the team, benefits the data, benefits the the, the overall picture. It's not just based on you know, well, he's got more results here and and, and has done more there. It's going to be much broader than that, and you know, Gigi, Gigi's no fool. He'll 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 make the right call for the team, and I don't think Bagnaia is going to be affected by whoever mm. goes in there. Well, uh, it would be an exciting time uh, this weekend to see how it all unfolds, uh, off track and on it. Uh, prediction time, gents. Your first, second, and thirds, Keith. Well, the first the first prediction for me is that Luigi Taveri is um, is going into the MotoGP Hall of Fame, which I think is an important thing to, to to point out. And of course, at the same time, and there's a bit of momentum behind this now, is is uh, why is Chas Mortimer not yet in the MotoGP Hall of Fame? So I'll just mention that one more one more time and leave it out there. But Luigi Taveri, no longer with us, sadly, died in 2018. Um, so the Swiss rider. Is going to be in the Hall of Fame. So congratulations to him. Predictions? Oh, my God. 
when you've got the weather as well that is going to really interfere with it, um, this is going to be a tricky one. We haven't mentioned the fact that, you know, we haven't mentioned Alasia Spargro's feet, which is an important thing to think yes. of as well. I mean, Alasia Spargro, um, you know, obviously he's had a bit of damage after Silverstone. I mean, the damage limitation that he managed to achieve was remarkable considering. And just to put that in context, when you're riding on fast tracks with fast corners, the the, the willingness for a motorcycle to to change direction is really difficult because the gyroscopic effect of a wheel, my old mate Julian Ryder, love him as I do, when he does his little science course for me in the in the commentary box as was, you get a bicycle wheel and spin it and hold the axle and then try to turn it. I can't do his <laughs> voice very well, but, but when you're trying to turn it and, and, and the gyroscopic effect basically makes the thing want to stay stable and straight. It, and, and the same thing with motorbikes. When, when you are trying to get that thing from one side to the other, I'm thinking maggots, Beckett's chapel curve, you know, and you've got a busted ankle. You are putting your counter steer to start with your counter steering. You're pushing the wrong way to get the bike to go into the corner and you're weighting the foot pegs as well to try and make the thing go where you want to go. At the speeds they're pulling, the reluctance for the things to turn and how much physical body effort you have to put in to get them to turn from side to side, knee to knee is incredible. So, not quite the same thing at um, at the Red Bull Ring. It's more of a, a point and squirt. But I wonder how much it's going to affect the likes of Alasia Spargo, who, again, you would be on for a, for a race win with the Aprilia there because it's got punch out of them low-speed corners. We've seen Aprilia has got that initial punch. So is a Ducati, obviously. Um, it's going to be a really, really interesting weekend, and that's without the weather interfering with it. Do I know who's going to win? Mm. Not this week. <laughs> <laughs> come on though who go on you gotta you gotta pick someone is it my turn yeah, first am i going first, first? yeah it's your turn first thanks for nothing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a short intermission uh i'm gonna go with bangnaya zarko alash all right okay zarko yep all right no further questions. Pete McLaren, your three, please. Right. Well, I was going to go with Banyar as well, but now you've said about the weather and now he's, so I'm going to go Jack Miller for the win. I'm going to say it's mm. going to rain then and Jack is going to, is going to use his usual wet weather magic and uh, nothing to lose now for Jack, of course. I think Banyar, the next few races, it's now or never really for the championship, isn't mm. it? I mean, I thought he was out of it already, but he's now back into it. But these next couple of races should be great for him. And he, he's got to capitalise on it, hasn't he? He's made up a huge amount of points in the last two rounds, but he's still a long way away. However, if he can keep this run going, and what that means is he can't afford to take massive risks. Obviously, he's got to go for it. But yeah, so I'll say Jack is, is going to be willing to take a few more risks. And if the weather's a bit dodgy, so I'll go um, Miller Banyaya and I'll go Jorge Martin okay. for third. I think, uh, you know, former winner there. Again, that's thinking more about dry conditions, but... Uh, yeah, so actually, I, I'm going to go no Quattro and no Alation on the podium right. this weekend. Well, we I'm going then that. for a first win since Qatar 2021 for Maverick Vinales on the Aprilia. I'm then going for Banyaya second. And I've gone a bit rogue, but he was last year's winner. And if there's wet play, Brad Binder might well come a call in to the podium. And I don't think. Bloody hell, that's a good. That's a good sporting bet. You're stuck I know. On there, I know Harry, I'm like that. you, Keith. I do love a sporting bet. Love an underdog. Yeah. And I think you know we've got we've got you know now I'm up there with the points. Last year I was on zero points for about half the season. So I've got I can afford now to play a little bit around. <laughs> it's tight at the top. You're still leading, Keith, by one point. So me and Pete still tied on nine. So uh, okay, well, Keith Banyaya and uh, Zarko Aleish, uh, Pete. Miller, Banyaya, Martin, and myself, Vinales, Banyaya, Binder for our podiums. Let us know. I think, I think you've just blown it, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll find out this time next week. See, if you, let me know if you agree with me. Put in the comments, tweet us your predictions. Anyone for a Binder? Binder win? Too far? Maybe. Uh, let us know and we'll get back to you uh, uh, next week. But I think that just about does it, gents. Nearly out of time. Looking forward to Austria this weekend for some more racing action. Make sure you're tuned in as usual across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week and we'll be back with you same time next week questions in leave them in the comments section tweet instagram 
Facebook us. Just search for Crash Moto GP. And please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we shall see you right back here next week. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, Keith Ewan, and Pete McLaren. Bye bye. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.